Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast with a non-tracky perspective. This episode is another one of our Spotlight at the Movies installments, the thread of our podcast where we analyse a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front of or behind the camera. But this time, we are doing something unprecedented. <gasps> on the show. Every spotlight of the movies prior to this, I think we've done almost 30 so far. Really? Uh yeah, I think Chuck nice. Tur- I think Chuck Turner, yeah, which was should have been the last one unless something weird happens. I think it was 28 <laughs> of the spotlight of the movies. Like I think so essentially this episode could be rounding us up to 30 because this episode we are actually tackling two movies it's a double bill baby grindhouse Grindhouse. style (laughs) double bill which they should put on as a double bill showing yes they should to be fair or just to be honest with the amount of these they could do a prince charles all nighter yeah at this point quite easily so we are covering the first two films in the in the line of duty in the in the line of duty uh, which is part of the Girls With Guns sub-genre of Hong Kong cinema. This is a really weird franchise because basically the first two films were retroactively kind of retrofitted into the franchise once the third film kind of rolled around pretty much. So the first two films in the franchise, which are the ones we're going to be covering on this episode, are Yes, Madam and Royal Warriors, both starring... Michelle Yeoh. So she is our Star Trek connection for today. Now, Yes, Madam is her first ever lead role Mm -hmm. in a film. She was only actually in two films prior to this, both of them really, really small roles. I think one, she might be uncredited. The second one of which is the same year as this, which is Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Stars, uh, which is the third film in the uh, Lucky Stars series, uh, which is like a Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung uh, hmm. series of films. She had a role in that as judo instructor. So a reasonably <laughs> small role. The iconic then, part. This film, yes, madam, she is very much the lead. I mean, she kind of like co-lead with Cynthia Rothrock, but I would say, I mean, Cynthia Rothrock only kind of turns up about a full third into the film really yeah well we'll um, get into like how this film does break down the stories we focus on because she is definitely the lead but it's yeah. very much a shared story with some other elements whereas royal warriors is a bit less so i think yeah although again there are kind of co co-leads in that film but yeah i think she i think you could say she's bona fide the uh kind of above the toll star yeah. of both of these films and the reason we decided to go back to the beginning of michelle's career for this episode is a number of reasons. Number one, the brilliant people at Eureka, which are a fantastic boutique Blu-ray company, have begun releasing the In the Line of Duty films one by one. They've released the first two, Yes Madam and Royal Warriors, and they are going to release In the Line of Duty 3 and 4 in March. Uh, when we watched Royal Warriors, didn't it come out literally a few days ago, you said? Yeah, Royal <laughs> Warriors came out on Eureka Blu-ray. Beautiful set. Literally less than a week ago. Um, so these first two films are out now. Yes, Madam came out in December and Royal Warriors, as I say, came out less than a week ago. So you can buy both of these films now 
on these really gorgeous Eureka Blu-rays. Now, if they keep up that color scheme that I'm looking at right now of uh, of the slip covers and the, the covers in general of the green for Yes Madam and the orange for All Royals, if they keep that up for the other ones they're releasing, that's going to be a real nice collection set. Well, yeah, they've released the covers for In the Lion G 3 and 4, which very much keep up this oh, similar style, yeah, that yeah. house kind of style that they've got for it with the really nice uh, artwork as well, everything like that. And they're kind of doing that for 3 and 4. So I don't know. There are more of these films after 3 and 4. I think there's about 7 or 8 of them now. Nine. A nine. Nine of these movies now. So they could easily continue. I think they have been good sellers. So hopefully... So seriously, listeners, if you're interested in watching these films after we talk about them, or even before, go and buy these Blu-rays. Because right now... Eureka and also 88 Films, another great uh, Blu-ray company, seem to be bringing out a lot of Hong Kong movies, which have basically just not had UK releases like on DVD or Blu-ray like ever. Or maybe they had one DVD release years ago that's long since been deleted. You know, a lot of these films haven't been seen since VHS era or anything like that. So it's really, really fantastic seeing these like really gorgeous transfers they've mm-hmm. got going on. And I personally want to see them continue because there's so much great 80s Hong Kong action that we just haven't got Blu-ray. Oh, th- the fact that all of John Woo's classic movies, like Hard Boiled, The Killer, A Better Tomorrow 1 and 2, are not available on UK Blu-ray, is absolutely mad. Yes, I know there are kind of slightly dodgy companies that you can buy copies of <laughs> and you Hard did. Boiled yeah, <laughs> and The Killer through, but I would like to see them get properly released. I mean, if your only exposure to Mr. John Woo is the masterpiece known as Mission Impossible 2, you need to go back. You need to go back <laughs> further to these uh, groundbreaking action films. But that's the problem. It's, it's didn't, mad didn't to me. Didn't we watch... Um, which one? Was it A Better Tomorrow that we watched in college? Yes. Because I remember so, yeah, that. The first A Better Tomorrow we watched um, in film studies. Was that in up? some hokey VHS or something? Oh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it won't have been. I don't think it would have been even DVD. Yeah, it would have been VHS quality. But it was uh, uh, blown up onto the projector. Yeah. And I mean, we were blown away. Uh, absolutely <laughs> blown away. It's incredible. And then I saw A Better Tomorrow 2 on some kind of like foreign DVD at some point. And yeah, just... Fucking phenomenal. And these films have been so influential mm-hmm. on Hollywood action cinema. And it's mad to me that they kind of, well, some of them are available. It's, it's crazy that we're in this, you know, a big sort of film debate that goes around at the moment. It's just how kind of static and hacky the action sequences get in Hollywood films these days. And it's always been a bit of a way, but there's like, you know, over-editing here and lack of rehearsals here and not having the right choreography in time. And, you know, CG. these... And CG overload, yeah. Like, you could you could put any, either of these films we're going to talk about in the cinema today and they would slap so hard and everyone would be like, yeah, these action sequences for the speed and the skill and the cutting the choreography across everything we see in these is, is phenomenal. It's like, there's no real excuse that 30-odd years on, we can't replicate that. And I think it comes down to just time and money for a lot of it because Jackie Chan always said, you know, that he just had all the time in the world to shoot, 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 whereas you can't do that with American-made movies. But it's like, even when it's a massive studio that has the resources to make your action look fucking good. And it's like, you know, and that comes across in how to shoot it, how to edit it, as well as the performers doing it. And uh, yeah, there's moments throughout some of these set pieces that we get to where I'm just like my jaws on the floor because I'm like every cut has a purpose 
every camera move is doing a thing the progression through the fight scenes themselves and uh the elements that are layering in whether it's be environmental or based on where they are or character dynamics it, they tell a story throughout as well and it's so thrilling yeah i mean i completely agree I mean, part of this i do think it's funny these obviously uh lovely blu-rays come with great little booklets with a essay each written by james oliver a film critic and historian and he actually talks about the fact that famously it's sometimes said that Hong Kong film productions are very relaxed about acquiring the proper documentation and permits for filming uh, best times <laughs> and kind of like safety and stuff, oh, health like, and safety, safety regulations. Yeah. And, stuff like and that apparently he says that he's kind of like a little bit of a myth, but watching these films, you would believe yeah. it. Well, there's, because... a, there's a million things that happen in these that you'd be like, this would just this element would be CG now. Yeah, yeah. As because... opposed to just like, why do it for real? And it's like, well, that's a silly question. I well, get it, it exactly. But... but that is, but that is a question a lot of people talk about. Even people like um, I heard William Freakin talk on uh, what the fuck the Mark mm. Maron podcast, and literally on that, Maron was like praising him to the guys for like the incredible car chase and French Connection, which they basically just did without any kind yeah. of like uh, permits or anything like that. Uh, basically, could have easily like killed people as a. And he was like, yeah, it's fucking amazing there. Yeah. And Freakin <laughs> was like, nah, like, it's fucking crazy. Like, we shouldn't have done it. And um, basically, now there's no reason to because you do it all with CG. Ugh. I was like, so even, like, someone from that age who achieved something that amazing is basically like, nah, I haven't been there. We shouldn't have done that. And she did it. But you are just like, I no, don't... sorry. You've got yeah. the budget to do it. Which is why the Mission Impossible films yeah. right now are absolutely slapping because the fact that they've got the budget to do it, so they're doing it. They yeah. do it, and they've got an actor as, as insane as Tom Cruise yeah. to do those massive kinds. And of as stuff. we've already seen with Top Gun Maverick, it's going to be rewarded. Like Maverick was yeah. a, a, a bigger surprise hit than everyone thought it would be. But if that can roll into the next Mission Impossible, which I'm sure it will, then they're going to be you know financially rewarded for giving the people what they want, which well, is it shows mistakes. that people are hungry yeah. for this, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, Fallout. Uh, which was definitely the most practically achieved Mission Impossible film, like, you know, in terms of action sequences. At that time, was the biggest box office of Cruise's career. And now, obviously, Maverick has topped that. Yeah. And I hope that Mission Impossible 7 will, like, match Maverick or maybe even top it because people are now really hungry for that kind of cinematic spectacle, which you just cannot yeah. get with just CG bullshit yeah. and every well, the time thing is, I those, fucking see it it depresses yeah. the shit out of me those ones really are unique the, the recent missions because they can only be done because of Cruz yeah because yeah. he's the only one who can be like we'll shoot this on whatever schedule I say because I'm producing I'm the star and uh, from all I hear about the production of uh, Dead Reckoning 1 it has been incredibly bitty and over like a year and a half of filming or whatever just here and there it was, it was all over COVID that's why, yeah, yeah COVID stuff uh, and they're still filming eight now. Yeah, like yeah, it's like yeah. But yeah, this is what I want to see. I don't want to see the version of Sorcerer that's done on the volume. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I completely agree. And what I will say about the money side of things is, I kind of think the whole money argument goes out the window when you look at the budget for these kind of films mm -hmm. that were made back then, or even if we want to talk 
uh, something more modern, uh, the Raid 2. Yep. Raid 2 was made for like four and a half million. Yeah. And literally, I'm sorry, but That's the, an epic. the action in Raid 2 is better than like 99.9% of Hollywood kind of action movies currently on release, which were probably made something like, I think something like Uncharted is a perfect example yeah. of being like probably made for something like crazy, like 120 million or so or more. And literally, you watch the trailer, everything just looks CG. Everything just looks weightless and bullshit. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, what is the point? What yeah. is that thing? Something that uh, your co-host on your other podcast, Daryl, says a lot. <laughs> what are we doing there? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. is, what are we doing? It is that. So today we are going to celebrate some fucking hardcore Hong Kong girls with guns action starting with yes madam from 1985 as i say michelle yeah's first lead role Hong Kong police inspector, despite only being 23 years old at the time when mm-hmm. she made this. This is written by Barry Wong, who also wrote Hard Boiled with John Woo and also wrote My Lucky Stars, uh, which is also part of that Jackie Chan Summer Hung uh, franchise uh, I talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Summer Hung also was one of the producers on this film as well. And yes, madam is basically the start of the Girls With Guns subgenre that perpetuated in Hong Kong like the 80s and 90s. Uh, because prior to this, basically, in terms of modern Hong Kong action, there hadn't really been a female-fronted Hong Kong action film mm-hmm. at this point. They'd, in the 70s and stuff, there'd been some like, period ones and stuff. But also, I mean, that's a thing of apparently a lot of Hong Kong action movies before this tended to be more period-based. And then this and um, Police Story... Uh, which come out the same year, 1985, basically were the ones to kind of take it more into a more modern vibe, kind of influenced by Hollywood movies and stuff, but then doing their own kind of Hong Kong spin on it. Um, Funnily enough, Police Story actually came out two weeks uh, after Yes, Madam. So you'd kind of think that maybe Yes, Madam was like, you know, inspired by Police Story, but not not the case. They would have been made at the same time. And this actually came out two weeks before. So if anything, this is even more kind of pioneering. Um, although I think they do share quite a lot of kind of interesting kind mm. of comparisons, police story and this. Directed by Corey Young, who ended up going to Hollywood and directing the first Transporter film. Also directed DOA, Dead or Alive. Do you remember that <laughs> film, Matt? Uh, I do. I don't think I've ever seen it. But I know it of being oh, like... Oh, I've seen some. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most like early noughties video game adaptation you can get starring Holly Valance. And, and Jamie Presley yep. from uh, My Name's Earl. Like, literally, when this movie came out, like, I think, yeah, it was early noughties. Think it would have been when we were at college, because that's certainly when Holly Valance was at her kind of, like, peak as it were, in terms of fame and stuff like that. And this film, I mean, let make no mistake, it's a pervy. <laughs> like, I mean, like, yeah, in terms of, like, literally, this is the kind of movie 
that's like perfect game. I think. Oh, oh really? Is it yeah. perfect game as well? Oh, like I didn't know. It was around it was... the time when like three D graphics had just kind of invented like physics, so they're like, we can have genuine jiggling breasts. Here. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so it was this like was a... like the follow on from like Tomb Raider and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. So yeah. it's like a fighting game where all the female characters are in like bikinis and there's volleyball mini games and stuff, and it's like I see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I remember this movie coming out and um, being like, yeah, this is totally that precipice before like broadband internet came in like you know kind of like just took over at a point and people would still have to be a little bit like oh well let's go see this quite pervy film like we'll like, see some of this lads you gotta like, come down uh, the cinema and I do remember certainly seeing the trailer and stuff like that and it is literally just Bikini City it's yeah. about like 100% uh, so that's what he went on to do. But he also directed No Retreat, No Surrender, which I'm pretty sure you yes. did as part of your white guy karate summer. I did indeed, uh, yeah. In Sun Double Deep, your other Very, very podcast. young Van Damme. Yeah, and he also directed Writing Wrongs, also known as Above the Law, which is another Cynthia Rothrock Hong Kong action film and has also been released by AA Films on Blu-ray recently. I've seen this. It's really good writing wrongs and it's one of the most nihilistic action movies i've ever seen it's just insane i i, I won't kind of like spoil it but fucking hell it is bleak and <laughs> um, like literally check it out because there is some like jaw-dropping stuff in it he also directed a film called she shoots straight which is another big one in the girls with guns subgenre which i really want to see i'm hoping that either eureka or aa films pick that up and release it because it would seem crazy if they didn't of all these other kind of Hong Kong films getting released and that's another big one so if you're listening uh-huh. Eureka or AA films <laughs> get on it get the license to She Shoot Straight I will buy a copy and obviously as I said our Star Trek connection here is Michelle Yeoh now as I already said so first leading role she was in Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars the same year uh, that was her only other kind of role this year because this is his you know this her launching pad as it were and, uh, yeah, I mean, this moves straight from its opening, which is basically Dirty Harry starring Michelle Yeoh, introducing her as uh, police officer. It kind of has this like, hilarious opening where she uh, gets flashed by some dirty flasher <laughs> and she traps his cock in a book, hardback <laughs> book. And so it kind of has this comedic opening that you kind of almost lulls you into a full sense of security. Yeah. And then suddenly, once he's getting arrested outside, she suddenly catches a robbery happening in like midway and basically goes full day harry and kicks so much fucking ass to the point where she actually has a do you feel lucky punk kind of moment. yeah well she's like firing a gun out from her car leaping over bonnets blowing all these guys away and then yeah she basically makes runs out of bullets makes a jump for someone's disguised shotgun cocks it and points at this guy's face and it's basically like do you think there's bullets in here should we find out what i like thought about this opening is it's basically like a cold hard announcement of a new action heroine arriving. I kind of like struggle to think of another film that introduces like a new action hero in such a definitive way where you instantly just go, oh wow, okay, yeah, they, they've they've got it. Whatever it is, they've got it. Like as a launching pad yeah. in terms of like because there are lots and lots of action stars who became huge action stars, but. This the fact that this is her first lead role and that her the two roles prior were so kind of small, minimal, 
it just felt like they just... Well, you like, wouldn't have seen it before. No, the no, 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 no. Like the, so the we watch this that, now knowing how amazing she is, and even we're like, whoa, what an opening. Yeah, but yeah, back then yeah. you'd be like, who is this? Yeah, well, the fact that Sammo Hung like, saw that and was like, clearly, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's just put this girl front and centre and construct a film around her. kind of seems, like, amazing. Because she came from a background of dance and ballet, I believe. She was a former beauty queen and model before she became an actress. And I think it was her, like, history in, like, dance and stuff like that that aided her just becoming so proficient in martial arts, which she clearly is, because, I mean, she kicks all the ass in this film. It's very, very clear that she's doing her own stunts for the uh, movie. Uh, or the vast majority of them, at least. Uh, I didn't spot any kind of stuntmen for her or anything like that. No, I will, I will say when it came to Cynthia Rothrock, there's a few instances where pretty much when she's falling or being kicked by someone, it cuts and it's like someone with very dark hair and she has quite blondish hair in this. And every time that happened, I was like, there's a stunt person. Well, it may have been a, a man for a Yeah, the, the funny thing is in uh, Writing Wrongs, the other Cynthia Rothrock film from around the time that I've seen, there is literally, it's like about two shots where she's like falling over tables and stuff like that, where it is, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's funny, isn't it? Where a lot of these films were made, I guess they never thought it'd be like cleaned up for like HD 2K transfer. Well, like you never like watch it again and be able to rewatch. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know, I think they often were for, but I think that when they were making them, they often were thinking about them being disposable. And literally, I was watching an interview with Cynthia Rothrock. Now she clearly could do all of her own stuff because yeah. there's there's bits later in writing wrongs and in this. Where she does stuff where you're like, but that looks more dangerous than the other thing. And she said, yeah, there was just two random bits in Writing Wrongs where they said, oh, no, we've got to get this done. And they wouldn't let her, they literally just wouldn't let her do it. And she was actually like, yeah, I can do it. And they're like, no, no, no. And they just got a bloke to go in her dress. And not only the dark hair, but it's just, it's literally just a bloke in her dress. It's not like, there's no attempt to try and like, <laughs> you know, fool anyone. And because now, like the edits are not insanely fast and you can see it in perfect clarity. It just is so obvious. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I would say like way more obvious than here. Like here, I think I agree in terms of very, like for me say you can see, oh, wait a second, her hair's slightly darker there. Mm -hmm. So that's got to be a stuntman. And then like, you know, uh, but in, in Ryan Rogs, like the, the two times <laughs> abs is foils. But at the same time, clearly Yoa and Cynthia Rothrock are like you know just incredible martial artists yeah. doing some amazing fucking shit but Rothrock doesn't turn up for a little while before that we get Mr. Dick <laughs> killing an auditor who we're kind of hinted had had a relationship with Yoa's uh, yeah, madam yeah 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 because she's on her way to see character. It. yeah yeah and he gets killed by Mr. Dick using an apple as a silencer um, oh that's hilarious because the other guy's like oh what are you going to do shoot me here and the guy's like shoves his gun into an apple, then shoves that in his mouth and puts them away. And this is where we get to introduce like the MacGuffin of the film, which is basically the microfilm. The microfilm. <laughs> yeah, which is just, I mean, I would say like these movies, both Yes, Madam and Raws, you ain't watching this full of plot. Like, yeah, the, well, these are like the most yeah. generic kind of like who gives a shit. Well, plots. this really leans into like a real madcap caper yes, side foot because yeah. yeah, your main plot is, you know, these bad guys are trying to track down this microfilm, but you know, in a... In a piece of movie coincidence, at the exact same time that this guy is being killed, some other characters, who are these local thieves, are pickpocketing and breaking into the hotel. And they just happen to rob that hotel room moments after he's been shot in the head, thinking he's just passed out. 
and steal this passport that has the microfilm taped to the back of a photograph. So now it's a case of like, the baddies are trying to chase down these thieves, the thieves don't know what's going on, and then Michelle Yeoh and Rothrock as the cops are trying to get to the bottom of it. So you have these three moving parts to this, and as it goes on, it does tend to lean more heavily into the thieves of them almost becoming like the main characters for a bit, because we have these three guys named Aspirin, Strepsil, and Panadol. Panadol. Uh, who you? I mean, you've got to assume those are nicknames, but it's never. I don't think it's ever said they are. No, I mean, they all think it's always be like because even when like people like dying and stuff, they're like Aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just how I know you, brother. But yeah, Aspirin's played by Mang Hoi, Strepsil's John Sherman, and Panadol is uh, Sweet Hark, the director. Who? Yes, who's the, very funny. Who a couple years prior to this would have done Zoo Warriors of Magic Mountain, which is fantastic. And so I didn't. I had no idea he had like acted in stuff. And yeah, in this, he is the most comedic character because he is just completely zany with this guy, like making these forgeries in this little lair, uh, this little apartment lair that just has like a, a million little sort of booby traps and things. There's a whole fight scene that happens where it's all the comedy all comes from the way he can move certain sections of the room around and sneak out through a hidden tunnel there and leap into a window there and it's like really cleverly uh, put together but yeah that whole sequence is mental like in terms of all the kind of weird parts of his because he's got yeah not only is it this thing of he's got loads and loads of fakes of everything like fake guns fake mm-hmm. grenades but also he makes fake passports and everything like that so the whole thing they keeps being this running joke of whenever you're in his apartment something you pick up could be a fake yeah. or it could be the real thing but and someone does throw a real stick of dynamite through the window. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well no someone throws a grenade through like his door and he looks at it he goes oh this is a fake I know it anyway because I have flows of fake grenades and he like chucks it back and he like blows his door up <laughs> but um yeah he's got this whole like random room of tricks which is kind of like mix of like Home Alone meets Funhouse or something yeah. like that there's multiple gates in his flat that he can like move around and stuff like that his bed which is a sort of like bunk bed type thing slides about the room Mm -hmm. and stuff like that on some kind of like pulley and just he's got oh he's the best one is at one point this guy is chasing him around the room and suddenly he's got like a fake dummy of him <laughs> that with dynamite in his mouth. He just like chucks it because <laughs> he like grabs him. He's like, oh, the dummy. I've got you now. Oh, it's a mannequin. <laughs> yeah, it's really, but he's interesting. There does seem to be a weird trend of this time of like Hong Kong directors taking small, like really funny acting roles. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Corey Yun, who actually directed this, he has a role in writing wrongs. And again, because like, you know, I didn't know what he was, I didn't know until I looked at the credits that I was like, oh, wait, that is the director. And he plays like a very quite a comedic role in that of just this slovenly, slobby kind of police detective who's a little bit like Chow Yun-Fat in Tiger on the Beat. But yeah, so it's a weird kind of thing. But he's really funny in this. Totally. Like this kind of energy to these things, it reminded me the most of in terms of, like, American directors of Sam Raimi. Like, that Raimi energy. Yes, yeah, yeah, He yeah. would have been... He must... I don't know if you said in interviews, but he would have been entirely influenced by this era of filmmaking, I am sure. Because by the time you get to Evil Dead 2, in, like, two years after this, and it has that madcap, zany, moving camera, the sort of manicness of any character, you know, the sweetheart in these scenes has a very, like, Ash and Evil Dead kind of, like, sensibility to it. And, like, yeah, Sam Raimi's maybe the only person who I can think of who's matched this energy in the same kind of way or utilised it for his own means, whether it be more of a horror bent or by the time he gets to Spider-Man, like a superhero bend. 
Yeah, I mean, there are some moments of humour that don't work in this. Like, there is a cameo from Sammo Hung, and also, I think, the other guys are with him. I think they're from the Lucky Stars films as right. well, which was obviously a successful franchise by this point. And they're, they're all kind of, like, made up as old men. When I say made <laughs> up, I mean they've chucked some talc over them. And there's this whole thing where they're in this kind of, like, uh, nursing home, thing, I yeah. guess... And they basically ambush the woman who's coming into their room. This did confuse me because presumably she's coming in their room to give them their food, to feed them. But they like ambush her to steal the chicken that she has. I guess maybe they steal the chicken for like everyone. They would have only got a bit or something like that. But I was like, wait, isn't she just, wait, is she just bringing the food to you? But also we're kind of fooled as the audience because when they first grab her, it does come across, and I think it is meant they're to like, come across, Ooh. as if they're going to basically gang rape her. <laughs> and then they're like, actually, like, the joke is they We're just, interested yeah, in the they just want the chicken. It's like, see ya. Like, uh, we just all want to munch the uh, chicken. And that's what, because they, they even have a thing with one of them keeps almost having like, a heart attack because he's so excited. And very much at the beginning, they're like, oh, she's coming. And, you know, you've got this. And the, the nurse is glamorous as well. She's a glamorous kind of woman. And you're ha- he's like almost having a heart attack, and then it's like, oh, it's the chicken. He's always having a heart attack again because the chicken's so good. And I was like, right, I do think <laughs> the joke here is we're meant to go like, oh no, they're gonna gang rape her, and they're like, oh no, it's all right. They just want the chicken. Ha ha ha. She's only been terribly traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So there's a bit dodgy, and this does run into uh, Summer Hung apparently um, before this film had built up a bit of kind of uh, reputation for not being the kind of greatest in terms of, like, female representation in his films and stuff like that. And also, if any, like, there was any woman who was, like, a martial artist in his movies, apparently when they were doing fights and stuff, he wouldn't hold back, like, at all. Like, it would just be like, oh, well, if you're here, that's it. Get it bad, like, you know? And, I mean, you know, I think from his point of view, I think his argument was, well, you know, if, if you're here to fight for on-screen, I think you've <laughs> got to fight. Yeah, you, you've got to do it. Um, but I would argue that, actually... Part of the problem with that is in my my lucky stars, one of the other lucky stars films uh, I've seen. I think some of it sometimes came across from him like wish fulfillment because one bit in that movie that really didn't sit well with me was there is a bad guy. She's like the henchman of the main bad guy, and it played by a woman called Machiko Nishiwaki. Uh, I think is her name. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But she was, and she's actually in in the line of duty free, I think. Mm. And she was not only an actress, but also like a powerlifter and a bodybuilder as well. And there's this whole scene in My Lucky Stars where the main female of the gang is basically confronted by her. And she's wearing, she's like wearing a big jacket or something like that. So the the other girl is like, right, put your cheeks up. In that kind of stance that Yoa and Rothrock both take constantly in this film. And the woman like takes off her jacket and underneath she's like insanely ripped and like muscular. <laughs> Good thing. And she's just like, yeah. And the other one's like, oh no, like, I get mad. And, uh, and then like just as it's looking like she's going to lose that fight, suddenly Sammo Hung like comes along and literally just knocks her out clean with one punch. And like, it's just it's like, kind of like, real. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I was just kind of, 
it, it just comes across and it's, it's played for like comedy in terms of like, oh yeah, you think you're like, you know, basically you think you're hard as a woman, but if a man comes on, like gives you one punch, you're out like a light. And it just came across uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that, you know, that comes uh, across as like a bit like shit. Yeah. Thing, like, you know, and I think this was very much, I think he knew that he built up this kind of reputation. This was meant to be like, cause he produced this film, like meant to almost act as a corrective to that because suddenly actually he was the one pioneering female led action movie where, you know, they get to fight and win. Well, that's it. Like, you know, you mentioned earlier the White Girl Karate Summer films me and Daryl watched, and there was a few other Rothrock films that we watched. My favourite being No Retreat, No Surrender 2, which, similar to this series, is the type of sequel where it's, like, nothing to do with the first one, basically. Like, change from a Karate Kid-style movie to a Rambo-style movie, basically. (laughs) With the move to, like, Southeast Asia as well. And Rothrock's great in that, but there's, like, I think it might be that one, or at least some other ones, where just when she's getting into, like, a big kind of boss fight of her own somebody else comes to like save her or take over or something I'm just like no let her have the main rivalry with this jacked giant henchman because they're those two fighting is really interesting to see and she can handle it yeah exactly that's the thing it's like it is interesting to see it's exciting to see and it's a it's a more interesting different dynamic as just another guy versus another guy or another woman versus another woman yeah it's like going like oh this is actually now gets interesting in terms yeah. of you know how vicious it can get and it was so. really interesting to go back to this and essentially see a really early Rothrock film because everything I'd seen of her during White Guy Cry Summer had been post this, of course, and being like, wow, this is her actually in a real, more of a real quote-unquote film than some of the, you know, the early 90s schlock we saw. Yeah. And, and, and just seeing, you know, I just, we just fucking love it when we, we're watching a martial arts star who can friggin' kick and you can see that the martial arts they're, they're, they're doing, it's all them and it's all real. And uh, yeah, her and Yo here can kick for days, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's stunning. And obviously, Rothrock gets introduced, as we say, about a third of the way into the film, um, where there's a massive chase and fight scene at an airport. And Yoa, it, what I find interesting about this film is she's already, her character is actually a senior like police inspector. She's very much large and in charge of mm-hmm. the kind of crew in this movie. And I just thought it was an interesting decision in terms of like, she's so young, uh, but she totally sells the authority. Like, her character is very... I'd say she's more serious in this film than she is in Raw Warriors. And she just does come across as the boss and just completely bossy. And when Rothrock comes along, is this kind of meeting of equals. And uh, that fight in the airport is fucking great. Great way to introduce Rothrock. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you, you, they, they just assume, like, you know, the, the baddie has sort of just grabbed, like, a citizen who's coming yes. in this, with her yeah, bags yeah. in the airport, and then she just does that massive Trinity-style kick. Like, oh, yeah, that's... that's Straight mental. up, breaks out of it, and, like, oh, man, like, leaping off of walls. But, yeah, it says in the airport scene, that scene was shot at the Thai Kak airport in three nights between midnight and 5 a.m., uh, whereas the finale, which we'll talk about, of course, it took 30 days when it comes to the finale i'm not yeah. surprised because yeah absolutely same but we'll 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 get there but yeah it's a great instruction for her and just again this scene just even the shooting style and stuff is so dynamic yeah like you really feel like the camera is just kind of running about with everyone and just really try to keep up there's a really cool kind of like crane like shot at one point over the security area which is really was they're all running through there it's very very cool and then <laughs> Rothrock 
is basically introduced as kind of the the badder cop, isn't she? Because she has an interrogation scene where she literally is battering the fuck out of the suspect and just like loving every second. Like, I'll like, take you here and turn the lights off and then just batter the hell out of you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they don't really lean into that dynamic between her and Yo that much because there's that joke in that sequence where like they they try questioning the suspect Yo's way and Rothrock's like ha oh, ha ha not having much luck here let me try it this way and then when the guy's just being bad Yo comes back in and is like no luck huh huh and it's like that dynamic and that rivalry kind of doesn't really carry on there's there's no real main part of the story that's like uh, no there's no real tension between them is there really in terms of when they first meet they have a slightly combative energy. Mm-hmm. But really, you never feel like there are odds or anything like that. Like even in a kind of like um, a Riggs and Murtagh way, and like Lethal Weapon or something like that, they feel pretty like they're equals. They respect each other, and they kind of get on with. Which I suppose, again, really is quite pioneering in a weird way in terms of actually going, yeah, because it would be very easy to go like, oh, of course they're women. They're gonna fight and everything like, and not get on and everything. Like, and they don't do that. They just go, yeah, we're two professionals. Everyone around them, in terms of the men, tend to be idiots. Yeah. And they just kind of get on with it. Yeah, and all so, those yeah. other cops just useless. Yeah, all the <laughs> other cops, like you say, I mean, literally are, are not memorable at all, any of the uh, male cops in this. Like you, you mentioned before, the story does sort of diverge into the weird comedy caper with Strepsil, Aspirin and Panadol like quite a lot. Apparently it's rumoured, although I think it is a rumour, where I think it's unsubstantiated, that there were reshoots done to basically, like, first it was a more serious film, mm. and then there were reshoots done to basically beef up the whole Panadol, Aspirin, Strepsil plot and add in more comedy. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to know how true that is. A lot of people think it's because they were actually a bit nervous about, you know, what they were doing, which was the first of these big female-led action movies. And they weren't sure if it was going to work, so they wanted to do other stuff in there as well. And I do think the comedy plot with them is far more along the line, if anyone's Mm -hmm. seen My Lucky Stars. It's more the kind of tone of that kind of film and those kind of movies. So I guess that must have been where that came from. I do feel it works because they can't balance each other out because you can't have these like idiots and then you've got Yara and Rothrock kind of keeping things more serious. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't object to them that much, but I I guess I did just want more of the film to be about Yara and Rothrock. Yes. You could agree. have seen more about them like in downtime, like not investigating, like getting to know each other. Because we, yeah. we find out next to nothing about Rothrock's characters actually like. Or, yeah. Or well, and even Yara, like... Is we get this vague hint that she was having some kind of relationship with the auditor guy. Mm. But there's never any... Like, to the point where I'm like, have scenes been cut out? That's why it makes me think scenes have been cut out. Because you never really get any real kind of hint that she has any kind of emotional investment in the fact that he's died. Yeah. Like, in terms of... It doesn't really come across like she's desperate for revenge. Like, she seems quite lackadaisical about the entire endeavour and then it's only at the end she's like right yeah that's fine and even (laughs) then they're very much you know they're joined at the hip on that because obviously Rothrock hasn't got an emotional stake in it yeah but they both quit they have a classic moment where they both like quit and hand in their guns and badges and team up to go and track the bad guy down yeah the bad guy in this is amazing (laughs) he is Uh, incredible he is incredible the guy he wears he has a pipe 
pipe and like is he wearing shades as well or yeah. is it just glasses his, his, and his main henchman the guy of the tash who looks like taika waititi and boy yeah 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 who's hilarious so he looks like the uh chinese version of uh, the guy from On the Buses. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the main bad guy is just amazing. Like, he smokes a pipe and he maniacal laugh, like, constantly, to the point where, at first, you know, it's just funny because he's just, every every five minutes, be like, ah! But at the end, it actually is a character trait because someone is like, stop laughing! He's like, oh, what's the problem? Well, a man laughing. Ah! Like, yeah. What can I say? I love to laugh. Ah! <laughs> yeah. That that guy is just incredible. Absolutely amazing. Obviously, we've always forgot to mention part of the weird comedy plot in the middle is the appearance by the snooker king. <laughs> <laughs> where there's a moment where Aspirin and Strepsil, they try to hustle a guy in a pool hall, but it turns out he's the snooker king. <laughs> Not the snooker they king. Actually, they do actually refer to him as the snooker king, uh, who is played by real-life snooker champ Kwok Kwan Shing. Uh, so he's a real... He was a real-life uh, snooker player. I wonder, because it felt like... Is this just a really... You know, localized bit of knowledge from the the Chinese snooker scene of the eighties. Yeah. Like, is this like if we were watching a sort of gritty British action gangster film, and then Ronnie O'Sullivan shows up as like <laughs> the snooker king, like <laughs> hustling yeah. people for lots so of money? Yeah, so he was he was a proper cameo, like someone who was famous for being a snooker player, and it, he appears a couple of times, and he hustles them basically. They're like, "Don't you know that's the snooker king?" <laughs> I mean, all that is really funny because there's a bit where, like, he's just going around the snooker table, like, cleaning up, and uh, Strepsil says to Aspirin, like, oh, is it not your turn? He goes, like, no, I, I, I broke, and then that's the last thing I did. Yeah, and he's literally <laughs> up-potted every single ball on the table or something like that. So I think all that stuff is really funny. And uh, there's, God, there's also a hilarious scene where, um, is it, it's Strepsil who's the one with the glasses, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and he at one point, yes, it is Strapsil, yeah. Um, when Panadol, spoiler, dies, gets like beaten to death, he wants to take revenge. He literally goes to Panadol's apartment and like, arms himself to the teeth <laughs> with like guns and grenades. But the whole joke is obviously, as we've established, it's a really good kind of established gag in the film. His apartment's full of these fake versions of guns and grenades and stuff like that. So when it actually turns up to take down the bad guys, it, it, they're all fakes. But the whole thing is, because he doesn't know which ones are fakes or not, and neither do the bad guys, every time he pulls a gun, they are like, oh! And then, they're, wait a minute, is it a fake? And then he tries it, and it is a fake. And eventually building to yeah. the fact that where they do actually get one that is real. Because they did also set up that somebody dropped a real gun in that box of fakes. Yes, and yes. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's when there's that amazing bit from the main bad guy again as well, when he kind of like confidently walks down the steps. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Like, you and your fake guns, I'm not scared. And then, <laughs> He pulls out a gun and instead of like, you know, braving it and calling his bluff, he just grabs his like hench gun and pulls it as a human shield. And the guy's like, I'm okay. He's like, all right, cool. <laughs> and yeah, of course, eventually the, yeah, the payoff is one of the guns is real. And, you know, again, this is another case of this film slightly diluting the power of Yo and Rothrock because although they do get a gigantic, absolutely amazing set piece 
which kind of like literally feels like it lasts about 15 minutes or something like that, where they go to the base, the bad guy's house, this mansion, they just, just smash it to pieces, fighting all his goons. Uh, with just some of the most insane stunts you've ever seen. Like, just the amount of broken glass. Sugar glass smashing everywhere. Yeah, as well. yeah. Oh my God. And just some of the moves they're doing, where, it's just, where Yoa's like literally like flips through like on um, like a stairwell, through glass, back over, like chucks two guys through at the same time. It's absolutely mental. And it's really stunning and exciting and impressive. But... When it comes down to it, that neither of them get to kill the main bad guys. Yeah. Like the main bad guys, the lead henchman and the main bad guy both get killed by Aspirin. Like I think he I think it's him who kills both of them. Or at least Aspirin Does, and Straps all together. Is it not Rothrock who kicks the mustache guy off when he smashes through that glass and dies? Uh, yes, I think I think that guy, but I'm talking about the lead yeah, henchman, yeah. uh, who I think is Mr. Dick, who's oh, yeah. kind of chasing Panadol around and ends up killing him and stuff like that, and the actual main bad guy. Those two guys uh, essentially fight uh Rothrock and Yo to a standstill. And then Aspirin and Stretch will come in and blow them yeah. away. Uh, well, they blow the lead henchman away. And then it ends in very, very similar way to Police Story, where Police Story has an ending where it's all about injustice, as this is, where essentially the police turn up and they start kind of taking everyone away. But we've got no confirmation that the bad guy is actually going to get got it's kind of like he's going to get away with it and actually it feels like rothrock and uh yoa are potentially going to face charges for trespassing and breaking in and kind of assaulting his men and then at the last minute it's aspirin who pulls the uh gun and blows away the bad guy so essentially, they kind of are slightly neutered at the end as they don't get to do that. But also, that's very similar to the ending of Police Story, which also has that message of at mm-hmm. the end, after the big fight, he's told that basically the bad guy's going to be let go. And Jackie Chan goes absolutely fucking nuts. <laughs> Not on and my watch. I just batters him. And he literally has the final shot is him getting like held back by people going crazy. And here, the final shot is, you know, Aspirin going mad and like blowing them away. And yeah, I mean, I do really like the ending. I do really like that as an ending. But I just feel at the same time, it would have been more satisfying to see Yoan Rothrock take the bad guys down rather than have yeah. these comedy characters kind of take over. It's funny, we need to pat ourselves on the back because at a certain point when we were watching it, we were like, doesn't the music sound like Halloween? John yeah, Carpenter. John Carpenter's score for Halloween. Yeah, it says, yeah it says here the score also features parts. So the score is composed by Romeo Diaz, but the score also featured parts of the soundtrack from John Carpenter's Halloween. So we were literally so we were hearing literally Halloween because that's the thing we were listening to. I was like, wow, this sounds so like the score to Halloween, <laughs> and it was like it is the score to Halloween. That is a weird choice in terms of like, oh yeah, let's use. John Carter's Halloween. It's weird because it's it, it wasn't just suddenly going. No, 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 no. But it was still stalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still some that you'd recognise and be like, oh, that's definitely John Carpenter, and that's most definitely probably Halloween, and it literally was. 
Yeah, well, that is very weird. Especially as the other bits of score are good. It's mm-hmm. not like the rest of the bits of score aren't good and they needed someone decent on there. Because <laughs> the um, the opening bit of score like, over the opening titles is really, really cool. But yeah, that, that final sequence is absolutely astonishing. Amazing. So, before we move on to Raw Warriors, do we just want to say final thoughts on Yes, Madam and Star Writing? Yeah, no, I'm going to give it a four. I um. I think I think a lot of my sort of criticisms are almost sort of fixed in Royal Warriors, as we'll get to. Um, but I think as an introduction to Yo, it's incredible. Uh, for Roth Rock as well, having seen some of her other work, it's great. And uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those films where the sheer kinetic energy of the film and the strength of the action, action sequences makes it uh, a must-see. And while the storyline can get a bit convoluted in parts and a bit scatter shot here and there and depending on how much mileage you have with uh, the thieves characters it can weigh you down a bit there's like a, a certain stretch where it is mostly kind of them and you're like get back to back to uh, back to yo but it's it's not enough to completely derail it for me and i think very much interested in seeing more of these films from this series as it goes on as well but as like out of the gate you know this is you could you genuinely could put this in cinemas today and be like it's a period film but it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. Four stars. Again, to bring it back to Police Story, because uh, I, I do think there's a lot of duality uh, with this film, Police Story. I, I don't think it's any coincidence they were released two weeks apart. It kind of, they're obviously something in the water of the kind of modern Hong Kong action cinema evolution that was happening at the time. And it's funny because Police Story is a film I'd give four stars as well. And I think it's one of those films where they're interesting comparison points who would make a great double bill because I think there's things that this does better in Police Story and things that Police Story does better than this. Like, in terms of, I think they're both films where there's not enough action with the leads in terms of both of them start really strong and end really strong. And then in the middle, they're kind of more capery, more humour-based and a bit more silly, and there's not quite enough action in the stretch in the middle. Yeah. However, I actually think this, I think the middle portion, uh, where it is more comedy madcap stuff, is far more enjoyable than the middle portion of Police Story, Hmm. which is more about his kind of, you know, him and his girlfriend and stuff like that. I think the stuff with Panadol, Straps on Aspirin is genuinely fun and funny. And it has some inventive, cool action in it itself, like the sequence in Panadol's apartment that we were talking about. So I think it is really, really enjoyable. It just feels completely at odds with the other film that we're seeing yeah. with Yara and Rothark. And that's the problem. And then the ending, both of them end massively strongly in these huge, incredible action sequences and the one in yes madam i mean it it, it genuinely is one for the ages it is amazing it is a stunning sequence and obviously you've got two great martial arts heroes fighting which is double up from police story but i do think the gigantic showdown in the mall in police story is better than the way because I think just because it's on such a large scale, mm-hmm. I think that mole set is just amazing. And you know, the stuff they're doing there is even more show stopping. This, which is saying something, because if you see Yes, Madam and you see that final sequence, it is a show stopper, but the one in Police Story is even better. So it's that thing of going, like, I think that you know, mix and match between the two. You yeah. probably get one of the best like action films ever made. <laughs> but yeah, I four stars. I think it's great. I think it's really cool. I think the positives 
far outweigh the negatives. And I think in terms of an announcement of an action star, I, I think he'd struggle to find better at the end of the day than Michelle Yeoh here. And yeah, and obviously you've got Roth Rock as well, like W Money. Uh, so it is, yeah, it's really great. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch the next one. I was so glad that we made the decision to just double up <laughs> on this for the first time and basically, yeah, go straight on to the next film, which is not narratively connected, but is retroactively part of this franchise, uh, Royal Warriors, uh, which we're going to talk about next, which has no rough rocks, slightly. But it has got Michelle Yeoh, again, as the star. This is from 1986, so literally the year after. But she is joined by Michael Hong and uh, Haraku Sanada, uh, who obviously went on to be a star in Hollywood as well as Michelle Yeoh, uh, who was in Sunshine with her, the other Michelle Yeoh film we've covered on the podcast. Yeah, well, it's amazing, because I didn't look at who was in this one when we started, and then, yeah, Hiroyuki Sanada's name comes up, and I was like, holy shit, he's in this? And so, yeah, we joked, like, wouldn't it be funny that 20 years on, him and Yeo would have been on the set of Sunshine going like, oh, do you remember back in the day of Royal Warriors? Sanada's one of those actors who, obviously, if you look at him, he's in tons of Hollywood films now, um, and also TV. Obviously, he was in Lost. Um, he was in fucking Avengers Endgame, wasn't yeah. he? Like, you know, in terms of, yes, he's been in loads and loads of stuff. And when I saw his name, I just didn't even quite clock that it would be the same guy, because I don't think I even knew that he had this prior career, because uh, he was actually a big star in Japan at this point, and then came over to Hong Kong for this film, because the whole thing is he is, you know, he is playing Japanese in the film, because it starts out... Uh, with Yoa on vacation in Japan, and that's how he kind of comes into the film. Um, this is literally made the year after uh, Yes, Madam. It's the only acting role uh, that Yoa had this year, uh, so I guess she was just obviously just starting her career out, just went straight into Royal Warriors and did this. It's written by Tasang Kang Chong, who also wrote Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle with Stephen nice. Chow, and directed by Debbie <clears throat> Chang who also directed a film called Magnificent Warriors, which bizarrely is not a sequel to this, <laughs> but does star Michelle Yeoh as well, and is being released by Eureka on Blu-ray on February 20th. So there's another great Hong Kong action movie that's coming out from them. Uh, as I say, this starts with her uh, basically on vacation in Japan, uh, very much acting the tourist. She's like randomly dancing at the beginning. She's not playing the same character. Which is weird because... Her character in Yes, Madam is continuously told, like, you're going to have to take this vacation. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And so Plus, it starts, and it's like, oh, she's on, she's finally on that vacation. Oh, wait, no. Plus, she's another police inspector, so they always yeah. refer to her as Madam throughout both films anyway. But she isn't the same character. She is a different character. It is kind of, especially as they ended up all becoming part of a series, even though none of the films narratively connect to each other, and these are the only two with Yara in them, it is kind of like, why is she just not the same character? Because yeah. it's literally, I would say the only thing that really differentiates her is I'd say her character is a bit jollier in this for at least some of it. In comparison with her character in Yes, Madam, she's a little less serious. But apart from that, I mean, it's it's the same character. <laughs> you know, it's, a bit, it's a bit fucking weird. It's funny, the, um, the main sort of plot here is a lot more cleaner, I'd say, than Yes, Madam, which, as, it, as we say, has many kind of MacGuffins and moving pieces and elements here. Whereas, yeah, it's a lot more just clean. Yeah, whereas this one. is essentially 
So Michelle Yeoh, on her way back from Japan, uh, there's a, a plane hijacking, which uh, someone is trying to rescue a mob prisoner, and they both end up getting killed. And it turns out they were two people of a gang of four who, like, back in the war, not sure which, but it definitely has sort of Vietnam sort of connotations. It looks flashbacks. like Vietnam, but yeah. it is unlikely to be Vietnam there's, in reality. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there was four of these guys and they kind of all were out for each other and they rescued one from a landmine and all this. And so they became essentially blood brothers. So then the rest of the film is after Michelle Yeoh and Hiroyuki Sonata and Michael Wong, who are the three who foil this plane hijack and become sort of, you know, TV famous. The remaining two people, you know, set out on this revenge mission to avenge their fallen brothers. And it becomes this uh, revenge plot with these two remaining guys versus these three. And of course, they then take out Sonada's wife and child and the car bomb. And so it gets very, very personal, but it's kind of very much narrowing down. It's all on one track and it makes a lot more kind of, you know, through line narrative sense. Yeah, gigantic fucking car bomb with this huge explosion. But before that, we do get some scenes between uh, Sonada and his family to kind of think, you know, get us to engage with them, be like, realise how much a loss this would be for him. Because there's this scene where he's playing with his kid and he's got this giant cuddly (laughs) bunny and uh, there's this thing where he's having like a fake fight with the bunny in front of his like daughter to basically make her laugh. He like karate chops the bunny and stuff, and then acts like the bunny's like killed him. And his daughter's like really upset and starts crying. He's like, "Oh, I'm alive, really." I'm like, "Oh, just traumatizing my daughter. That's fine." <laughs> and then they all sit down and have breakfast. And there's this weird moment where it's sort of the idea I think is you're meant to believe that the wife has some kind of postpartum depression, I think, uh, because there's this weird moment where he, like, gives her this floppy piece of toast. It looks like some fucking mother's pride. <laughs> and he, like, hands to her. He's like, oh, don't say I'll never give you anything, baby. Like, like, and she's, like, just staring at it. You know, into space, like, she's on kind of loads of meds or something like that. It's, it's very, yeah, I very I couldn't work weird. out whether that was just odd acting choices. <laughs> I mean, possibly. They're, they're telling her, like, right, you're just having breakfast with your happy family. And she's just staring into space. Who's to say? Who's to say? floppy bread. Uh, originally, her character was meant to be in the whole film. <laughs> they went after that scene they were right get the car bomb no. in kill her off um, and the car bomb sequence is followed up by like, a massive car chase like straight yeah. away with him chasing down the bad guy who oh, car bombed them which is fucking great and is a perfect example of this thing about it doesn't look like there's any like health and safety on this no, no insurance or anything like that there's some of the things they're doing in that car chase you're just like cars what? are flipping everywhere there's like hidden ramps everywhere there's the bit where he just leaps from one car to the other car yeah. and he's just like running along the road like with the car yeah. like yeah and you're like there's no faking this you're doing it like it looks fucking crazy and i mean before all this as well with the uh the plane set sequence which is a really great sort of tense action sequence uh where the, these guys yeah just blow away like a row of people and then start to rescue the guys but then get gunned down but then one of them ends up in sort of like the lower deck part of the plane in a big fight with yo and then he smashes the window and they get sucked out and it's like really Air Force One, get off my plane type uh, action hijinks there. There's a lot of collateral damage in this film. Yeah. Because not only in that car chase, there's cars fucking flipping everywhere and they're driving through like crowded parts and it literally looks like there's just people who aren't even extras leaping out out there. Yeah. And there's like there's a club uh, shootout at one point where it's like full on massacre and people getting literally oozy the fuck away. Like, you know, it's just, yeah, there's a lot. This one, I would say, in a weird way, because this one's actually a 15. Uh, yes, Madam is an 18. I think it's because, yes, man, there's a few 
kind of actually quite gnarly moments. Like there's a bit where that that guy uh, who you were talking about, the guy who looks like the guy from uh, on the buses, falls into <laughs> like massive glass field, the glass shoves through his face. <laughs> and he's, I think it's maybe funny, but it does look pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. But this I'd say is more brutal in terms of because this one's got less humour in it. Mm. Uh, I mean, there are funny things, but there's definitely less humour and more uh, genuine, just like carnage and stuff. Yeah, well, the main bits of humour here, I guess, comes from the... So you've got Yo and Sonata, and then the third guy is Michael Wong. It yeah. kind of comes from his, like, wet sock of a character of just being... His whole thing is he's just infatuated with Michelle Yeo, and he's just, like, following her in his car and, like, begging her for dates. Well, he's full-on get... sex bass. Yeah, basically. he's full-on yeah. just like, oh, my God, mate. And so... He eventually, you know, gets sort of taken out by the main bad guy, like shot in the ankle and held over a building to try and entice Yo up as like a sort of hostage bargaining chip. And then, you know, he does the the right thing, I guess, and unties himself so he falls to his death so she doesn't get lured up. And it's like, oh, that's a really sad, uh, you know, way for him to go. But it's it's hardly redemption because he's just been this like completely annoying pest the whole film. Well, that's the thing. Up until that point, you're almost like, why would she even want to save him? Because uh, there's a bit where he literally gets in essentially a car chase with her, yeah. where <laughs> she is getting driven home and he literally chases her car and he's like, you know, beeping, everything's like, blow over, like, everything on, like that. Take with and me. then basically stalks her to her apartment, bangs on the door, like, gets her, brings her flowers, everything. Because not only is he try- really trying to get her, but he also has this obsession with making him, Yoa, and Sonada like a trio. Like best like, mates. He's like, yeah, we should all be like... And Sonata's like, oh, I'm busy with my wife and kid. And then after they get blown up, I'm busy getting revenge for my wife and kid. <laughs> and he like, keeps trying to make it so they're all like best mates. Yeah. But he's like, oh, but you and me get together as well at the same time. Yeah, he is just annoying. And then eventually he gets yeah kidnapped after he gets fucking shot. And then, uh, you know, he, he does sacrifice. He does the right thing. He sacrifices himself. So you are like, he does die to a heroic death. But as he dies, when he falls from the top <laughs> of the building, he literally screams down to Yo. He's like, forever we part, Michelle. As if they had some big romantic relationship. She just wants to like, fall into no. glass. And it's like, I don't know this guy. Oh, yeah, there's like an action replay of him hitting the glass like three times. <laughs> yeah, which is an amazing stunt. Yeah. It was incredible. But you are like, he's built up in his head to make it like they're star-crossed lovers. Like that, mate. <laughs> but she is angry about him being dead. Yeah, and that's not the end of him, of course, because the bad guy who's the one who's left goes in like in the nineteen thirties horror movie style setting, like digs up his grave with like you know, well, I don't think it's lightning, but it's very spookily lit where you can see these gravestones behind him in the moonlight like digs up the guy's coffin and then like like he's the fucking joker or something sends yo and sonata two different videotapes being like you will meet me here i'm with this fucking like traitor his corpse does not deserve to be buried i'm holding it above like a quarry and then he lets sonata's tape have a little extra info saying ha 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 when yo gets here she's gonna 
get blown up. Because there's dynamite below the coffin, yeah. which is big. Yeah, held, like insane villain plot. Yeah, like held over on a crane. Yeah. Like, you know, above like a quarry. And it's this... So I gotta say, using, using the dead colleague as bait, even well, after he's dead, is quite a new thing. It's meant to be like the ultimate dishonour, isn't it? <laughs> because he's just like, because he actually says like, oh, he thought that committing suicide would save him, but no! like <laughs> I've dug him up, I will destroy his coffin. And like you so say, we get these Vietnam flashbacks and they keep saying, I think they say we live together we die together I yeah. think they say but it's just like we ride together we die together <laughs> bad boys for life <laughs> even though they've been dying one by one so this is not I true. must say I think the flashbacks to this kind of the bad guys show they've got this kind of brotherhood yeah. I, I guess they are the raw warriors of the title it's like the um, five bloods or something yeah yeah and what they try to do I think it's an interesting idea and I think those flashbacks are cool but I don't think there's really enough of them to hammer home mm. their brotherhood in terms of, I feel like it's one of those things where if you go, go with that and make them these kind of slightly more sympathetic bad guys then you should have had some more of those like almost like in Yes Madam with Aspirin, Strepsil and Panadol like we should have almost seen as much of them as we do of the heroes mm. to kind of make that work because otherwise, and I think because the last guy who gets left alive is so evil, <laughs> and he is another guy who like laughs all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that your kind of your sympathy for him is come out of the window. I think. Yeah. Oh, especially there's a bit where at the funeral for poor Michael Wong, the press are there at the funeral, and Michelle Yeoh gets interviewed, and basically it's like, "I will have vengeance." <laughs> and one the main the main like police chief like pulls her away. It's like, oh ignore this hysterical woman. She's very upset. And she like pushes back fast and it's like, I will kill her. <laughs> <laughs> cuts to like him at the station being like, You yeah. can't you're a cop, you can't say that. It's just like the headlines today. Like police <laughs> vows vengeance. <laughs> and then yet yeah, on the it shows that the bad guy is watching this on the TV. And he's like just <laughs> he's like just watching it like normal, like he's just perfectly enjoying the the episode of the news that he's watching. He's like, like kind of chuckling to himself about the fact that, oh yeah, funeral for the guy that I caused to die, great. And then Yoa turns out and goes, I will kill him. And he's like, what? <laughs> you know, like, and he pulls out his gun and shoots the fucking TV. And he's like, just laughs as if he's victorious. <laughs> It's like defeated. <laughs> I have shot like, my TV. It's just like, as if that's actually killed her. <laughs> so he's like, yeah. That's me done. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. But we get basically the same situation we had in the first film, where, well, to be fair, she doesn't actually hand in her gun and badge list, but she gets like suspended, doesn't mm. she? She's off the case. And she basically walks out of her career because there's this whole thing where she has a go at her superior officer and he's like, You insult a superior? And gets really angry with her, and grabs some random guy who's like passing. He's like, You write a report about what you've just seen. He's like, oh, just yeah. <laughs> leave me out of it <laughs> that's the thing I think these films like these kind of Hong Kong action movies I think inevitably even if they're I say this is slightly more serious than Yes Man because Yes Man has a lot of kind of you know clearly genuinely intentional comedy caper moments yeah. it but I think even a film like this where it's it's meant to be a bit more serious just inevitably I think they just have a really easy fun way of leaning into comedy elements mm -hmm. or even when there's bits which it's hard to know sometimes like 
if there's bits that are meant to be like that bit that we're talking about, whether that's meant to be like 100% intentionally funny or not. I think it is because I think that guy going, Oh, I just got here is, is funny. Like, you know, I think they just, they just know how to lean into some comedy stuff. Yeah. And then have these badass, like fucking serious hardcore action fights where you are completely invested and I actually think that a lot of these films manage to do that balancing act so well in a way that I don't think a lot of Hollywood films have been able to do mm-hmm. in terms of where it's just kind of like, yeah, there's no problem with having like a funny, silly scene and then the next minute like an insanely hardcore fight that is serious yeah, in yeah. that moment. Kind of thing. Like, you know, we, it's fine. We get another incredible finale set piece here. So Sonata shows up first to this, like, quarry area and, like, you know, fucks his car up and gets trapped. But then Yo turns up to save the day in an armoured tank. <laughs> it's like the fucking tumbler from the Yeah, yeah. She, like, wrecks into the building where the guy's hiding out. It all collapses. He comes out and then she goes in and... Well, she, he he sets her tank on fire, and it's a really tense moment where he's about to shoot her the second she has to come out the tank to avoid being set on fire. But Sonada manages to sort of delay him a bit there, and then Yo jumps out right before it explodes. But then she tackles him inside, and they have a fucking chainsaw fight. I must say, Yoa in the final sequence looks so fucking cool because she's got this like leather jacket, yeah, and she's got like black fighting gloves on she just looks fucking badass mm-hmm. and that final sequence with the big fight that she has the main yeah. bad guys i mean because yeah he grabs a fucking chainsaw and he's swinging it around and you're just like and you're because you're thinking how do they do sort of fake sort of chainsaws in films there must be a way but then you're watching it and he's swinging it and he's like plowing it through like wood and tin and the floor and you're just like fucking hell and it's really intense and again you know harkening back to sort of Raimi energy for sure like I like you said and then you know they get out and then she's trying to like save the coffin and then he comes out like she basically sort of beats him in hand-to-hand combat and assumes he's dead but of course he comes out like a good slasher villain with like a torch in his hand and he's like got this sort of plan b I'm just gonna blow everyone up fuse hidden in the dirt and he's like going to light that but then they take him down but then he sets himself on fire and like crawls over it himself and it's just like holy shit and then they have to you know get out of there before it all blows up like it's really good stuff yeah it's fucking right i was about to say that bit with the chainsaw i just wanted to check whether which one came first and this actually proceeds because this is 1986 tiger on the beat uh which is a chowian fat film from 1988 the final sequence the final big action sequence is a it's a similar one to this with the bad guy having a chainsaw and i would say that the the sequence in tiger on the beat is perhaps even more insane in terms of what they're doing with this like <laughs> chainsaw and stuff like that but it clearly must have been i think influenced by this yeah. like you know to just try one up it i expect but that is worth checking out tiger on the beat as well uh which you can get hold of on like an old dvd or whatever but hopefully that gets cut release on blu-ray as well because it's a fun film a mm-hmm. different kind of movie charlie and Fair as well because usually he's the cool toothpick kind of chewing shades guy whereas in tiger on the beat he's not at all he's really goofy in that and uh that's, that's quite fun but yeah should we wrap up final thoughts about royal warriors and give a star rating and such yeah i mean this is another four star for me but i think i preferred this one overall oh, wow. yeah i think this is my preferred one like i think because it's the pacing's so much better. And like I say, because the plot isn't split into so many ways, it's very much good guys versus bad guys. And you learn layers about 
the baddies as it goes on. And it's less about, you know, chasing a bit of microfilm and this MacGuffin and things. And I think just the action set pieces are, are better spread out, you know, because you have the opening sort of sword fight in Japan, then the whole plane sequence, then the car chase, you know, and it goes on and then the nightclub shootout and then the whole finale. I think all the main set pieces, which are so different from one another, are spaced out really well. Uh, Yo's fantastic again. Sonada's great. Yeah, I mean, whereas with Yes, Madam, if you don't like the the thieves, that's one thing. Here, the, the the equivalent would, I guess, be Michael Wong's annoying pest behavior, but it's 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 still layered a lot more into what's going what's going on. And so, yeah, I think this is I think this is bloody great. Okay, well, I give this one three and a half stars. Uh-huh. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's it's great. Uh, like three and a half stars is is very much uh, a recommend uh, where I'm concerned. And, you know, I, I totally, if you want more after Yes, Madam, then 100% pick up the Blu-ray for Royal Warriors as well. And I am excited to leap into In the Lion Duty 3 and 4 uh, when they come out from Eureka. Both, I think they're dropping on the same day on Monday, 20th of March. So I think they're releasing them back to back on the same day, which is fucking cool because these films are moreish because they tend to be uh, i think yes madam is like 93 minutes i think rural warriors is like 96 so they're nice yeah. and kind of sure don't outstay their welcome and i think they always just leave you wanting whenever i watch a hong kong action movie i always want another one mm-hmm. because the fact that it's just there's a certain style to these movies which you just don't get anywhere else like this hasn't been really replicated in no. Hollywood kind of cinema, or very rarely. I mean, I think even when, obviously, the closest you can get is when a lot of these directors did end up coming over to Hollywood, like Corey Young and John Woo and stuff, all came over uh, to Hollywood and did some Hollywood movies. But I think you know, if we're being honest. A lot of those films that they made in Hollywood don't recapture fully the feel of these movies. I think with Wu, Face Off is the one where he kind of, you know, not only recaptured the kind of thing he was doing in Hong Kong, but if anything, even potentially elevated it. I think Face Off is is amazing. I think you can, and Face Off, I think you can imagine being made in Hong Kong mm. with like uh, Chao Fat and Tony Lung. I think you could imagine it with them doing face off. Yeah. And I think there are there are scenes, like individual scenes from like hard target and stuff like that where you can you can see it. But I don't think with, with Corey Young, I mean like the transporter, the first transporter, I'm like although there are parts of it which do have a, a bit of that kind of feel and vibe. It doesn't. It's not a patch on. I mean, like, you know, some like stuff. Statham, especially twenty years ago. So that era, Statham mm. feels like the Western kind of star who yes. for making yes. a film in yeah, this yeah, yeah. sort of way. I can see Statham being like, "Yeah, let's do it like this and yeah. make it fucking great." Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And Statham, you know, he he can do the bizzo when it comes to like martial arts. He's very impressive, and I kind of, I kind of feel it's a shame that he hasn't really been utilised in in the way the Hong Kong action stars would have been mm. in the 80s because really as much as... Just give him a franchise where he's playing a slightly different character each time. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean really even though he's not doing as much kind of martial arts kind of stuff in it, the Crank films mm-hmm. are really the closest to that kind of more madcap kind of like that he should have been doing 
But rather than these kind of like, you know, rather than stuff like Transport and the Fast and Furious franchise, and you kind of like, obviously, I mean, you can still do it, but I mean, you're starting to get on a bit. I'm like, they want to knock out. I want to who's, see. Who's the next star? Who's yeah. going to come along and have a Michelle Yeoh and Yes Madam style intro that makes us go, oh shit, this is our, this is our new action Well, star. I mean, let's face it, Hollywood's still cashing up with these movies. Like, you know, 1985, Yes Madam is. And you kind of feel like we're still, when a, like, a female-led action movie comes along Hollywood, not only do I feel like a lot of them don't compare with these kind of, you know, things, they're not putting it out there mm-hmm. in the same way as these are, but also, uh, although there are some great ones, also it's still an event like that, still an event when they happen. Like, so I get quite excited about a female-led action movie when they happen in Hollywood because they are actually still rare. Whereas here, the girls with gun subgenre that was spawned out of Yes Madam was huge. Like, there's letterbox lists. If you look up girls with guns on letterbox lists, there'll be lists with like dozens of films because literally Hong Kong just saw it was a moneymaker and just fucking ran with it. I think that's fucking awesome. Like, do that in Hollywood. Do isn't it, right isn't it weird how the Hollywood equivalent of that was your uh, geriatric action star vehicles after yes. Taken? Yeah. A whole yeah, bunch yeah. of them. Yeah. But uh, it's not quite the same. No, no, 100%. <laughs> Although the thing about uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, who, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode was really to celebrate her early in her career and see how far she's come. You look at what she's just done in the last couple of years. So, obviously, starred in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, in my opinion, the best film of last year. Mm-hmm. She's just won a Golden Globe. She's just been nominated for an Oscar for her role in that film. Could win it. The other day, the Star Trek producers, uh, currently on TV for Paramount+, Plus, confirmed that Section 31, which was her spin-off from Star Trek Discovery is still in active development. Well, we were saying off mic, weren't we, about how, like, oh, maybe they've waited too long and she's going to be yeah, well, in demand again now. Yeah, if anything, they have waited too long. She's yeah. too big now. Because very much, when she left Star Trek Discovery in season three, you can tell they're setting up a spin-off. When she goes to leave, with the Guardian of Forever, we are very much led to believe that she will be back. And she hasn't been back. And I think that's a real shame. You have always been far greater than you could imagine, Michael. So have you, Philip. This fantastic Best Actress nominees this year, Kate Blanchett in Tar as well and everything like that. But I think, you know, I think we'd all be very happy for yeah. Yeah to win. I think it would be fucking awesome and well-deserved. And she has had a stunning career. It seems insane that she was the lead of a film in 1985. And she is still kicking ass and taking names. Well, this is it. I mean, that's 85. You know, she's starring in a Bond film by 97. Yeah. Crouching Tiger, 2000. Sunshine, 2007. So she's never she's never gone away. Mm-hmm. But she's always had these uh, ebbs and flows. And now it feels like she's definitely back in the subconscious. Yeah, she's in the MCU as well. Yeah. Two different uh, roles. 
Yeah, yeah, Shang-Chi and uh, Guardians as well, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which of those characters comes out, or both of them. Uh, yeah, as part of the Crazy Rich Asians universe as yep. well. They're going to do a Gemma Chan spin-off. <laughs> Fucking madness, as her character is like the most boring character in the world. <laughs> I will say nothing against Gemma Chan, but, you know, that character is not interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't wait to see more of these. I can't wait to see more of Yoa's early action movies i'm sure we'll end up covering more of her early work on this podcast because there are definitely other films from that era the 100 percent want to dig into and also more of our hollywood work um, yeah i'm sure because there's you know there's some really cool stuff to do. i mean obviously tomorrow never dies it's a it's a biggie um we've got a bond film on the list uh so we've got a couple of bond films on the list so that would be cool of course she's one of the many bond girls where they talked about doing a spin-off yeah which seems to have happened with a lot of bond girls in the modern era where they've gone like because jinx jinx that was the main one wasn't it i mean that was the one that came closest yeah yeah but even i mean i don't think they've ever talked about this but people try to manifest the ploma spin-off didn't they anadamas i think we'd all love that to happen well i mean she's getting that uh john wick spin yeah she's getting something you know we're getting something we're getting something uh but yeah both fucking great i hugely recommend going out or just going online whatever <laughs> whatever's easier for you and buying both of these amazing eureka uh blu-rays both absolutely gorgeous they've got loads of special features i like i've read the booklets uh but i haven't had time to dig into these special features which are always abundant on these discs number one they've got fucking million different types of cuts and like you know different soundtracks you can listen to and stuff like that they've got audio commentaries uh-huh. by asian film experts uh they've got a couple of audio commentaries actually they've got a scene by scene like commentary with cynthia rothrock herself oh. uh like breaking down like her fights and stuff i expect interviews and feature oh there's a featurette on yes madam called battling babes bring on the babes uh, which i would assume is like a feature about the like, <laughs> girls with guns kind of genre and such like that so there's some really cool stuff here yeah totally will be digging into that i think i might go back and watch that featurette after this and no doubt add a bunch more of these films to my watch list yes. so Get on board these, support them, support physical media, and we want more of these films to get nice releases like this. So, you know, this is the only way it's going to happen. So get on it and get buying. You can find us online at Spotlight Pod, at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's right, Twitter still exists. It has survived. Yep. We've been making the joke of it might not be there. <laughs> Well, the joke now episode. is it won't be there by the time this comes out. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. But, you know, it, we're still around there, so come yeah. and find you us, can, uh, us. You can email us at spotlightpod at gmail.com as well. You can, uh, like, which, you know. It worked out. Yeah, some people listener. did. Yeah. Some people did. And recommend movies we should cover on the podcast because, you know, we love to hear from you. Also, I mean, this is an experiment for us, covering two movies at once. We just kind of felt... You know, both of these just come out on Blu-ray. Yeah, Wild well, Roars just come out, we may as well. And then, like, they are literally back-to-back films. Yeah. So why not cover them both? It just kind of made sense. 
uh, but we've never done it before. So uh, we, we kind of, in general, like to give, I think, you know, one film, it's time to breathe over an entire episode. But this felt right. So if there's more things you think we should do, like a double bill or even mm. like a series in one episode, mm. then kind of let us know. We'd love to hear from you. But thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for speaking to me, Dave. Matthew, <laughs> really, my pleasure. I, I really, really appreciated it. It's just I love to laugh, and you know, you're the person I enjoy doing that with most on this podcast. So goodbye, listeners. <laughs>